Looking to lead smarter? Let me send you a free copy of my ebook, The Portable Guide to Leading Organizations. Text Lead Smarter to 33444. That's Lead Smarter, all one word, to 33444. This is Ryan Hartwig, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Ryan Hartwig. I'm a professor of communication at Azusa Pacific University. I teach group and organizational communication, leadership, those kinds of things to undergraduate students. And then I also do research in the area of teamwork and collaborative organizational design. And you also crushed their hopes and dreams, uh, as indicated by the recent TEDx talk that you gave, which was an awesome, awesome talk. (laughs) And one of the, the reasons I thought it'd be so cool to talk today um, I mean, mainly the thesis is that there's no such thing as meaningful work, which is funny because I like to crush my own students' dreams by telling them something pretty similar, which is that like there's no job posting that says dream job at the top, right? And then has a job description of the most meaningful, engaging, blah, blah, blah thing you've ever heard of. It doesn't right. really exist. Right, right. Well, what I've noticed, a lot, of, a lot of this has come out of my work. I do a senior seminar class here at Azusa Pacific University. And what I've realized that these students they are on this on this quest to find this perfect job some of them find what they think is the perfect job then they write me back a year later or two years later and say hey this is not all it's cracked up to be or other ones to say well i i couldn't i couldn't quite find that perfect thing but i found something else i'm loving life and so really this is my talk kind of has come out of a lot of that work with students over the years and trying to help them navigate what's what's life look like for you and how can you not be crushed and how can you make a great difference out there yeah, and you know, when I was watching the talk and thinking about this interview, et cetera, something that's sort of not brought up too in depth in your um, talk, which we'll have a link to in the show notes and all that sort of stuff so people can watch it. It's definitely worth watching, and it's got a really good response, which I thought has been really great. But one of the things I like, where does this myth come from? Is it? I mean, do we do it in, in the people that teach in university that like if you just study this major and you're passionate about this major, you'll find the perfect job in this major and your life will always have meaning? Or like is there a a deeper cultural cause? Why do, why do we even believe in the sort of myth of the meaningful job uh, to begin with? Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a great question. I think it's a subset of our misthinking about work. And I think for a long time now, we've thought that work is kind of this necessary evil. The work is kind of this bad thing. And so meaningfulness and work have been separated at some point. And then we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we put these things back together? And I think this is really kind of the, the most modern formulation of that. We don't think very well about work, but the goodness, like the inherent goodness of doing good work wherever wherever you are. And so we're on this search for this thing that will kind of, kind of bring us this meaning that we're so desperately looking for um, in life. So I do think this is a very much a cultural, a cultural kind of thing, but I think you can trace it back, as I do in the talk a little bit, back to the way that we have, we've managed people, the way we do, the way we've designed organizations, the way we treat employees and so on. And we train people to think certain ways about work. Yeah, let's, so let's rewind back to that. Cause I mean, you started the clock in the talk at Frederick Taylor, but I mean, it might, it might go back before that. Like, I mean, basically before the Industrial Revolution, the assumption is that everybody who worked worked in a, in a field that, you know, by choice. Now, obviously, like, you know, if your dad was a cobbler, you become a cobbler a lot of times. So you don't necessarily have like perfect choice. But in an age of kind of merchants and entrepreneurs, that was the pre-industrial sort of era. There weren't a lot of, of big organizations outside of shipping and those sort of things and, and governmental stuff. So there wasn't really this kind of need to separate that out. Everybody did kind of engage in whatever they wanted as an economic driver for their house. And then 
somewhere along the line, like you said, it could be the Industrial Revolution, but we really, on a massive scale, split these two different things and really focused on, like, here's work and let's maximize work, and you can do meaning once the whistle blows and you get off. Right, right. I think so much of that was because work was very local. I think in this pre-industrial revolution, you worked for people that you knew. You know, you worked in your communities. I mean, very rarely did you kind of go off somewhere else to go to work. But rather, you're, you're, you're working in a community, right? Maybe there's a family. And, and so much of work kind of was, what, what are the opportunities that are before you? And so people said, okay, well, this is the opportunity before me. There's an ability, there's a need in my community for this, so I can produce that thing, and I can help people out. And then I know the people that I'm producing this product for, I'm serving in some way, and they're going to either benefit or suffer from, from the quality of my work. And so, so work was, I think, very, very meaningful, right? For, for so many years, it was quite connected because, you know, you, you, you were local, you knew the people you were working for, you were being able to kind of plan out your own work, figure out how you were going to do that and so on. So and then we get Freddie Tra- Freddie Taylor, yeah, who yeah. who is a weird is a weird person to put the blame on because he's sort of like, I I actually sometimes in in classes refer to him as the abusive father of management, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah okay he's the father of a lot of management concepts, but he's but also like I think he was well intentioned, like yes. I think he really thought that work was different from meaning, and therefore what I'm designing is a way to maximize the income people get for their work. Right. Right. Yeah, I think Freddie Taylor was totally all about work. Not not all about work. Oh, and, work. and by the way, we totally yeah. know him, so we're calling him Freddie Taylor instead of <laughs> Frederick Taylor or F.W. Taylor. Right, yeah, Freddie. Yeah, I try to just kind of shorten to those kind of things. It makes it a little more interesting, I guess, for my students. So yeah, there going. you go. Okay, so but, sorry. I cut you off. Freddie Taylor. No, no, you're okay. No, I think he did. I did. I think he did kind of want to help workers to kind of to, to create a workplace that was fair to them. So the amount that they worked, it was going to be, they were going to be benefited by that. And so he wouldn't have some of the pro that would solve some of the problems that were there, and then it would also work also for the for the uh, for the organizations, for the managers, for the for the owners, and so on. So I do think he was very well intentioned, and, and actually I think that brings up a good point. I mean, much of a, much of our management thought and management practice oftentimes is very very well intentioned, but what I'm trying to do is kind of say, okay, even though the intentions are good, what's the actual impact of this? And so there's lots of different things that we do that we're like, hey, this is going to be great. But it doesn't work out so well that way. And I think this is really what you see here in, this, in scientific management. You have this um, very scientific approach, obviously, to manage what we're going to – got to do it this exact best way. Well, yes, that brought a lot of good outcomes, and we enjoyed those outcomes. I, I, t- I say in the talk, I can go anywhere in the world, go to Starbucks and buy a vanilla latte, and it's pretty much going to be the same. Like, I, I think Frederick Taylor is partially to thank for that, not to blame for that. That's fantastic. But there's also there's also kind of a negative outcome that, that happens because of that as well. Well, and I think, too, like, uh, f- the, the principles of scientific management and Frederick Taylor and his disciples and even, like, Elton Mayo, who was a disciple of Taylor's, who then got into sort of human relations, it was the first one to sort of come back and go, well, wait, wait a minute, there is a little bit of this soft side that we need to acknowledge but even all of that was sort of predicated around the industrial era and the idea that we have to sort of make things and that work comes from like, you know, there, there's one or two people who are creative mental knowledge work designing the product. And then everybody else in the factory's job is just to trade their their body, their actual effort for labor. And we, we especially don't even live in that era anymore. Do you think, do you think that, I mean, is, on some level, is that what's going to save us and maybe help us find meaning back in work because meaning now comes from our head instead of our bicep? Or work, excuse me, comes from our head instead of our bicep? Um, 
I hope so, but it seems like even where work comes, I think even where work comes from our head, there is this great um, tendency for management to say, "Here's the here's the way we want we want you to think. Here are the here's the framework you got to fit within, and all of your thinking has to be within this framework." And I appreciate your work around creativity and say, "Okay, how do we sometimes get outside of this framework? We need that." But I do think there's there's still such a tendency to control. I mean, even all of the management theory that's come out. You mentioned Elton Mayo in the human relations movement. I mean, at some level, that seems much more humane. Hey, we're actually going to care about you. But the underbelly of that is probably more pernicious. Now I'm going to care about you, the person, and I'm going to go ahead and, and let you drink beer out of a keg on break time, and I'm going to get you the snacks that you want. I'm going to give you, you know, dry cleaning service here in the organization. We give you all these things because I care about you. But why do I do that? I do that so that I can get more, so that I can get more and more of you and I can continue to kind of push you into the mold that I want for you. So I I, I hope so, but I don't I really don't know if that's going to be the thing that's going to save us. I think the thing that's going to save us is us choosing um, to work differently and then also managers choosing to manage differently. Oh I think uh, starting on the management side, I definitely agree with you. I think one of the fundamental problems, and, and this is a this is a drum that will be beaten for decades before people start to listen, but we're working against 100 years of factory-enabled management systems, and those systems sort of need to change and haven't. So, you know, we still are using the same tools, but for a different type of work. And, and you know, Frederick, Frederick Taylor would have hated that, right? Because he would have found the one best tool, and we don't have the one best tool. But, but I think you're also right that, okay, that's going to take a while to catch up. So in the meantime, like, it comes down to us individually. So so I guess what do we do about it? What do, When those students email you two or three years later, what do you tell them to do? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I think the first thing I tell them to do is, okay, you found this job. There's probably something good that you're doing there. So what 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 is that? And I, I talk about this in the talk a little bit, but focus on the good that you do. And there's kind of that that famous talk um, example that goes through three workers are asked, what are you doing there? They're, 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 they're building something basically. Or, and someone asks them, well, what are you doing? I'm, I'm making smaller rocks out of big rocks. The next one says, I'm making a living. The third one says, I'm building a cathedral. And so I really try to help students say, what is it that you're doing? What's the good that you're doing? Wherever that is, if you're working in this entertainment industry, you're working at Starbucks working wherever. What is this good thing that you're doing? And can you focus on that during the time that you are there? And then I tell them that, but if you're really having a hard time really discerning that, I'd really encourage you to start to think, um, what is what what are the, what are the impacts that you really want to make on the world? And how do you start thinking about how you can make that impact either in that job or at some point you got to think, okay, do I need to, do I need to think about going somewhere else? What are the other opportunities that are available to me um, to be able to do to do to do really good work? But but so much of it is, is for them to be able to say until you kind of jump. I think that their tendency is, oh, I got to jump. I got to jump really fast to something else. This isn't working. I want to say, hey, I really want you to mine. What's the impact that you're making there? Are there some people that are there that you can that you can really mentor? You can um, help along in their in, in their in their career and their trajectory and so on before they 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 move to jump. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's where my my advice. There is no job description titled "Dream Job," right? There is no there's no job title for that, and, <laughs> which means that right. And so all I need to do is switch over and find another one. And and I think I mean that's it's we we're joking about it like younger students because that's who are are having this problem. But I think that's a misconception that everybody of all ages has is we just need to find that right job. So even when we're climbing the hierarchy, right? We we make jokes about the corner office, like it doesn't. That, that's not going to make it meaningful unless you sort of deliberately try and do it. And I think 
to some extent, like, I'm not going to say every job because some jobs uh, I don't think it's possible to be engaging. But I think almost every job that when you see the effect that it has on the larger organization and you find a way to accomplish the task in a way that plays into sort of your strengths, I think you can develop some level of meaning. It Maybe not enough to stain you forever, right, but enough to keep you employed while you look for a job that might be better or at least have a better sense of what to look for and what to build. Right, I guess – Another thing I really tell them, too, is how can you make it better? So, you know, typically they're writing me because something's wrong. I'm like, well, no, duh, something's wrong. Of course something's wrong. I mean, that's just that's that's the world we live in. That's the organizational world that we inhabit. So what can you do about that thing that's wrong? And so many of them say, well, I got to write this. CEO, or I got to have a meeting with them and tell them how to do this thing differently and so on. Like, yeah, well, that's going to go over great. That's going to be right. awesome. That's probably not going to work. Why don't you just start? Why don't you just start in in the place where you're working? Why don't you just raise the professionalism? If that's your issue, raise the professionalism in your little office simply by maybe the way that you dress or the way that you write your emails or the way that you the way that you furnish your desk, whatever. Just do that and watch and see where that ripple effect, how that ripple effect can can kind of move out. So I really just encourage them to make 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 a local change, make change right here, right now, and see how that can see how that can snowball over time. Well, and I love one of um, one of my favorite insights a long time that I try and share with them is not even just sort of what can you do differently, but like what can you not do, right? I think it was Marcus Buckingham who talked about, I mean, he's a pioneer in the strengths movement. One of his biggest advices is like the one thing that really successful people who have sustained career success have is they find out what they hate doing and they stop doing it, right? Either they find a way to delegate it or they find a way to just like not do it, not make it a part of their job anymore. And those things that are engaging, they just do more of and do better. And gradually people keep asking them to do the thing that they do well and stop asking them to do that thing they suck at. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think that brings up, there's a tension here too. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to tell, I don't want to tell my students, well, uh, screw it. You're not able to find the perfect dream job. So don't even try. Don't even try to figure out kind of how you're wired and what your strengths are and what you care about. And, you know, the, the, the issues in the world that you really want to do something about. But no, not at all. I think there's a tension that, yes, yes, try to think about where you're gifted and kind of this direction that you might go in. To, but don't make that become this ultimate, you know, thing that you're going to go on this great search for, ignoring everything else along the way there, because you're just you're never going to find that perfect, perfect, perfect thing. Well, yeah, and when it's it, you know, if it's predicated on strengths and the activities that you enjoy doing and are engaged by doing, if you can think about how it contributes to the larger whole, you can f- you can sort of scratch that itch in a variety of different fields, right? Like, so I, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm in the classroom. Tuesday, Thursday, I'm usually on the stage giving talks at conferences, etc. They actually scratch sort of the same itch, right? This desire to transfer good ideas, to simplify complex evidence-based things and present that out. I mean, that's even what sort of the podcast does, at least for me. So there, I mean, my my sort of portfolio career is proof that like even if you have all 40 hours a week doing one thing, it's still possible to find a way to do it that's in line with with what you're naturally sort of your strengths are oriented to, what you're, I, you know, I dare say calling or gifting or what have you, but there's still, it doesn't, you're, you're calling or you're, you're gifting or the thing you're engaged in, it's not a specific job in a specific company. It's a method. It's a task. It's an activity. And that activity yep. can find itself on the org chart in a variety of different boxes. Yep. I love it. Yesterday I was sitting, there's a Chick-fil-A right across, right across from campus. And I was sitting having lunch with a student there 
we were talking about her job search a little bit and where some things are going. And I said, hey, I love that I get to be a prof now. I get to write and speak and do kind of what I do. That's a blast. But if all of that fell apart, I would hope that I would be able to, and I know that I know the operator of the Chick-fil-A, I'd hope that I'd be able to go over to him and say, hey, man, I need a job. And can I come here and can I help you serve chicken sandwiches? And maybe can I, can I do the things that I really feel called to do, which is kind of um, educating and equipping this younger generation is going to go out there and make a great difference in the world. I think I could do that uh, at, at Chick-fil-A probably just as well as I could do that um, at APU right now. I may not quite enjoy it so much or as much, but I, but I would hope that I'd be able to do that. That, I think, is really the message, that wherever the opportunities are, sometimes you're going to have an opportunity that's going to be just fantastic and you feel like it's so in line. Other times, not so much, but how do you make the most of it and how do you make a meaningful difference while you're there? Yeah, I totally agree. So, so the TED Talk on the sort of myth of meaningful work is is out. It's easy to find if you type. I, I would normally say if you type Ryan Hartwig into Google, you'll find it, but you probably won't. You'll probably have to type Ryan Hartwig TEDx. Um, you might find some other actor that's meh, but Ryan's talk is awesome. So check that out. And, and Ryan, I want to, you, you know, cause you are a long time listener to the podcast. You know what questions I have for you in store yep. questions. We ask everybody the first one, what are you reading right now? Yeah. So I, I my semester just ended. So I'm just kind of getting into that here for the summer. I'm writing a piece on communities of practice for an encyclopedia for organizational comments. So right now I'm trying to get into that, into that literature. It's a really rich literature, but Eddie and Eddie and Wenger, um, and so I'm trying to get into that literature right now. And then I'm also trying to take some of my work on teams and kind of move that, um, some teams in, in, uh, in leadership teams. And so I'm trying to uh, move some of that forward. So I'm trying to read some articles and prepare some things along those lines right now. See, and the next question I was going to ask is what's next for you, but it sounds like that feeds into it. And you're actually, what's, it's not the only what's next, but what's going on for you. You're in the midst of a lot of different stuff. Yeah, this has been kind of a fun season. So, yeah, we just published a book called Teams That Thrive, Five Disciplines of Collaborative Church Leadership. I published that with uh, Warren Bird, and uh, that just step, that, that released in April. And so uh, so that's going out right now, and so we're doing some some talks around that and doing some seminars in some major cities and just trying to help promote that as well. So it's just a book that, that, that really um, helps leadership teams learn not just what to do and why to do those things, but also how to do those disciplined actions that will help them to be successful. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And we'll obviously have a link to that uh, in the show notes. And like I said, don't just Google Ryan Hartwig or Google Ryan T. Hartwig and you'll find him perfectly. But <laughs> um, check out the talk. It's awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thank you so much, David. It was great.